Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come before you and ask that you would manifest your presence to us as we endeavor to study your word. We thank you for your presence and we thank you that in sovereign mercy you bless us accordingly many, many times. Again, we would ask that you would bring peace and morality to our nation. Ideally, that you would bring such a revival that the nation as a whole would bow down before you and honor you, the God of heaven and earth. Bless us to be faithful to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We... uh, been looking at the subject of communion and fellowship with the Lord, and obviously much, much, much more could be said regarding that, and if we do, uh, we might not get out of these first three verses. (laughs) I would like to uh, direct our attention to uh, verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. This word for joy is... Uh, this won't mean much to you, but hopefully you can hear the uh, similarity when I pronounce them. The word is kara. And it's uh, found some 50, 60 times in the Scriptures. And it is a noun that comes from the verb Cairo, which is 77 times in uh, uh, in the New Testament, 77, uh, 74 verses, uh, something, some say one, some say another. But you can see the, uh, the connection, and uh, it is also closely akin to, to a word that uh, from which our word grace comes in many ways, but we're not going to go down that. The we want, I want to look at several verses that have the word joy in it, in order to. Uh, Hopefully, 
direct your attention to some of the things that God would have us to rejoice about. Uh, just the English word uh, joy uh, is found some over uh, 200 or 240 uh, times. But obviously we're not going to look at all of those. However, uh, when we think about the joy, particularly the joy of the Lord, there's one passage that comes to mind, and that's in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. Obviously, you've heard this quoted many times, the joy of the Lord is your strength. But I would like to go back to Nehemiah and read this somewhat in its context that you might be able to uh, see what it's all about. This is after a group had come back from Babylon to uh, Jerusalem under the time of Ezra the scribe. And I'm going to impose upon your goodness and begin reading at verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. thought it's quite uh, uh, telling that it says, and all that could hear. And as we pointed out this morning with regard to fellowship or communion, it's the idea of talking back and forth and listening. And, and uh, so here you can see that uh, the implication of communion could be uh, derived from that. Verse 3, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Now, what would you think about if I would call and uh, ask that you all all come here and uh, stand up and let me read out of the Scriptures from the morning till noon? That's what they did. They were in the street, weren't in a building. Before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose 
with all those people there, he'd need to be up on a high platform so he could be seen. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Aniah and Urijah and Hilkiah and Messiah on his right hand, and on his left hand, Pediah and uh, Mashael and Malchiah and Hashem, <coughs> excuse me, and Hashbadana and Zechariah and Meshulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Benai and Sherebiah and Jamin, Akkub, uh, Shalbethah, Thai, Hodijah, Maasiah, Kilatha, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. In other words, Ezra would read, and these uh, Levites would tell the people what it meant. He would read, they would tell him what it meant. So they read in the book of the law distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which was the which is the Tershathah, he was kindly the ruler, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They would read, give the sense, and the people would realize they were great sinners and in great need. Then he said unto them, here's our text, Go your way, and eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They saw they were great sinners, but they need to realize of the righteousness of God that was imputed through the justifying righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we need, in the midst of the worst of times, we need to keep our eye on the Lord and rejoice in His benefits and His blessings to us. You know, as well as I do, when we are down and out and feeling somewhat beside ourselves, 
our Bible reading, our prayer, prayer life, our devotions to the Lord is somewhat languid. You know, it's just just kind of going through the motion. And life, we kind of just go through the motion when we're that way. But when we are rejoicing, life is just like the difference between daylight and dark. That's just in a natural way, oftentimes. But to rejoice in the Lord reminds me of Isaac Newton's song that presence would palaces prove if Jesus would dwell with me there. I've never been put in jail for the cause of Christ. I don't know whether I'll live long enough to see that in my day. Uh, unless God changes, I believe that's coming in this country. But, and I have not been uh, totally isolated and cast out. I know what it is to be isolated and cast out from some folks, even family. But when you're rejoicing in the Lord... All of that seems as nothing. All of that seems as nothing. John said that he was writing this epistle that your joy may be full. Full. It is somewhat revealing that the first time the word enjoy is used in the Scriptures, it is related to enjoying the Sabbath. Look in Leviticus chapter 26. Verse 34, we won't have time to read the context. However, I would say this, if you want to read a chapter that has to do with God chastening His people, read chapter 26 of Leviticus. But in verse 34 he says, And then shall the Lord enjoy her Sabbaths. In other words, if they weren't going to do right, He would send them away into another land. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbath as long as it lieth desolate, and ye be in your enemy's land. 
Even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. Here the land is to enjoy the Sabbaths. And then dropping down to verse 43. The land also shall be left of them and shall enjoy her Sabbaths while she lieth desolate without them, and they shall accept of the punishment of their iniquity because even because they despise my judgments and because their souls abhorred my statues. So here is relating to the land enjoying the Sabbaths. Second Chronicles addresses this. Second Chronicles chapter thirty six. Verse 21. Talk about them carrying away into Babylon and Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years, that is, seventy years. So if the people are not going to enjoy the Lord and take uh, keep the Sabbath as they, as they ought. God will see to it that uh, through discipline that the land would. But let's go to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Verse 6, And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Beloved, we need to be, when we are in the house of the Lord, whether we're singing, whether we are uh, in prayer or whether the word is being proclaimed or whether we are giving of our, sacri- uh, of our substances, whatever, is to be a sacrifice of joy. Of joy. It's a joy to be in the house of the Lord. I've heard some of you say that the Lord's Day is the happiest day of the week for you because you get to come to the house of the Lord. I've heard you say that more than once, and it's a delight every time I hear you say it. It should be that way with the people of God. All right, Psalm 43. Psalm 43. Verse 4. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise Thee, O God, my God. Notice, God, my exceeding joy. Let me ask you, beloved. 
Do you enjoy God? I didn't ask that. Do you know if there is a God? Or I didn't ask if you know God. But do you enjoy God? Do you enjoy spending time with God? That's not always easy to do because we sinners are sinners and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around a being that we cannot see. You know, we can be together sitting around the table eating food, we see each other, we hear each other, we talk to each other, we can enjoy each other's company. But sometimes when we try to communicate with God, it seems like it's a one-way street. And it may be. I don't say that it, this is always the case, but it may be the reason it is a one-way street is because we don't quit talking and start listening, not with our ears, but with our soul for God to speak to us. You know, it's It's hard not to get into the rut of reading our so many chapters a day and then laying the Bible aside rather than reading intelligently, listening for God to speak. Listening for God to speak. You know what it is when you're reading and it seems as if a passage just jumps off of the page into your heart. May God bless us to work at creating an environment to be still and know that God is God. He's there. That He's our exceeding great joy. Psalm 48.2 talks about Mount Zion, the place of worship, being the joy of the whole earth. Here again, we direct our attention to the congregation of the Lord. Yes, that, by, by the way, that's Psalm 48 and 2. And it is true that 
It is joyful to be in the house of the Lord. But there's no place. Well, let me say this. It is, it is a blessing to enjoy the Lord's company in our private devotions. It's, in, it's a delight to enjoy the Lord's company when we're fellowshipping maybe one or two others or things of that nature. But the height of the joy of the Lord is found in the house of God. Jesus promised that when the assembly of the saints meet, He's there. Beloved, He's here. He's here now. He's here. That's astounding. The creator of the universe. The omnipresent. Infinite God. Is tabernacling. Among his saints. He's here. And only by the Spirit of God manifesting Himself unto us is that known. But He's here. The joy of our salvation, Psalm 51, 8 and 12, talks about some of these I just need to uh, go on or we won't get through. There are many, many verses throughout the Scriptures by the way, of these over 200 times, I kindly uh, I went through all of the verses. I've just kind of picked out a few here and there. But many, there are many verses regarding making a joyful noise in the worship and in the praise to the Lord. When you sing, when we sing, are you making a joyful noise to the Lord? Or are we singing songs that we know kind of by rote? You know, we just go through them. We need to be mindful of what we're singing. Uh, in my uh, personal devotion, uh, this year I've been going through uh, Spurgeon's uh, hymn book. I've just about gone through it. And of course, there's no music in it, though there are uh, indications of, of, of some tunes that could be uh, associated with various songs. In other words, one might have a CM, meaning common meter. Another one have LM in it. Another one have uh, uh, 874 and eights and sevens and in there were just different variations of tunes which we can look in our song book and see things like that. And sometimes uh, I, I look up 
Uh, I've got in the back of my Gadsby hymnal some songs that I am familiar with, with some some of those like eight seven fours and uh, one forty eight and things of that nature. There's so few tunes that fits those. But sometimes, and most of the time, I just make up a tune. Now, it probably, it, the tune that I make up is probably not kosher to a musician. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't qualify for uh, a musical tune uh, for uh, maybe congregational singing or something of that nature. But in doing so, I focus on the words. And I am constantly amazed at many days when I am going through the next song or two or three or sometimes four or five, the songs that I'm singing seems to fit my heart. You know that's rich. I couldn't plan that. And it causes me to focus on what I am singing rather than how I am singing. And the joy of making up my own tunes as I go along, sometimes I go from verse 1 to verse 2 and to verse 3, and with each verse, it uh, the tune changes. Because I try to make it fit my own soul. Instead, you know, in our song book, we sing uh, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, all by the same tune. Well, I'm there by myself. Uh, I can kind of uh, go, <laughs> go off the scale, I guess you would say. And uh, In other words, my singing is to fit my soul. And it is a blessing. It is a blessing in doing that. Speaking, God speaking to the heart. To the heart. Making a joyful noise. Making a joyful noise. I like... Psalm 149, verse 2. I want to read that for us. Psalm 149, verse 2. Let Israel rejoice in Him that made Him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. Beloved, if you want to, sit, if you want to make up a song, 
Think about the redemptive work of Christ and what Christ has done for you and sing to Him about it. Make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise. Yes, there's nothing like sitting in a congregation of good singers. But you know, sometimes I have sat in congregations of good singers when they were so uh, precise in their singing, it seems like the Spirit was missing. I'd rather sat in a congregation of bad singing when the Spirit of the Lord is there than with good singing when it's not. But obviously... It really puts the uh, the icing on the cake when you've got both. <laughs> when you've got both. And you know what, beloved? Someday we're going to have it. Some of you say that you can't carry a tune. Well, someday you're not only going to be carrying a tune, you're going to be singing a tune. And, and you won't miss a note. That's a delight, isn't it? That's a delight. I don't know that I'll be making up any tunes in glory, but I guarantee you one thing, it'll be far, far, far superior to anything I've ever done here below. I want to give one that is a warning. Look in Proverbs 15. Here is a warning regarding joy. Proverbs 15:21 Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom. That's the wrong kind of joy. Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom. There's joy. Look in Matthew 28. Skipping over into the New Testament. I may have to cut out some of this short. Matthew 28. And verse 8. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. And did run to bring his disciples' word. When uh, the ladies went there and Peter and John had gone there and, uh, and so on, we find that they, uh, they had fear and great joy. You don't think about having fear when you're joyful, do you? 
But here's a here's a, a fear. And yet there's great joy. There's joy in persecution. I, I know y'all are familiar familiar with a lot of these, but I without uh, without uh, read uh, reading these, I'll give you the verses that you can look up on your own at home. And there's others that I have not l- listed. Luke six twenty three, Acts five forty one. Acts thirteen fifty two, Second Corinthians seven four, First Thessalonians one six, Hebrews ten thirty four, James one two, First Peter four thirteen. That ought to tell us something right there. If God has given us so many verses that we're to joy in persecution. When oftentimes when we're persecuted, we kind of get down in the mouth, do we not? Feel sorry for ourselves. One place it says, leaping for joy when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jumping up and down. When's the last time you jumped up and down? I heard a preacher recently say that he had jumped up and down sometimes with regard to the Word of God, but he said he always did it in private. <laughs> Luke 15, verses 7 and 10 talks about Joy in heaven. There's joy in heaven in the presence of the angels when a sinner repents. Now I do not know how much those that have died and gone on to be with the Lord, how much they know about what's going on on the earth. I've often wondered if some of my loved ones and some of the saints, if they uh, could see me sinning. I don't know. Somehow, I would think not. But I don't know. But I do know this. There's joy in the presence of the angels when a sinner repents. Well, there's there's several others. I've got I've got a list of twenty here, and some of them have multiple verses. 
uh, joy in Christ, finishing our course with joy, joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is joy, righteousness, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Now the God of all hope fill your heart, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, being helpers of God, other people's joy, being joyful in giving while in poverty. The Macedonian saints, in their deep poverty, they gave, but they were joyful. The ultimate fulfillment of joy, look in Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. We are promised full joy when we are with the Lord. But John tells us in his epistle, in verse 4, These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Not that you just have joy, but that your cup is full to the brim. You know what it is when you can uh, fill a glass, and I forget exactly what it's called. There's a name for it in science. But if you're really careful in filling a glass, you can actually fill, put more water in that glass than what it'll hold. Because you can see that it, uh, surface tension, surface, surface something. But anyway... Have you ever filled a glass and just done it really carefully and you see that around the edge, in the middle, the water is higher than the rim of the glass? And you can do that. Well, beloved, that's the way our joy is going to be. It's going to be full. And if you put one more drop, it's going to run out. I've done that before. We did. We I remember doing it in chemistry in either high school or college, and uh, I think it had something had to do. I think surface tension uh, somehow was uh, surface something was included in it. But you get down there and look at it level it. You put put barely put the water in it, and you could see it rising in the middle from the edge uh, going up to the center and it being higher than the edge of the glass and then you put one more drop and it all spills over but we love it we're going to, our glass is going to be full at thy right hand fullness of joy now I've given you a sampling of some scriptures throughout the Bible about joy and these things you can think about when uh, we uh, have this as we continue to go through uh, this book. I've got several lengthy quotes. Uh, 
Let me impose on your goodness. I'll read some of them. Uh, there's a lot of good statements. I thought they're really, really, really good. Pink. So here's some some statements from Arthur Pink. All real happiness is bound up in Christ. Every other joy, but that which issues from fellowship with the Lord is but a counterfeit one. A word now on the nature of his this joy. It is an elevation of soul after the Lord and things above. It is a delighting ourselves in God. For since all happiness be the enjoyment of the great chief good, then all felicity is bound up in Him. Joy is heaven begun in the saint. For His blessedness here and hereafter differs not in kind, but only in degree. In other words, our, the joy we have of the Lord now, same joy we'll have then, but we'll have it in, in a better, deg- a richer degree, fuller degree. It is therefore a joy which is pure and unalloyed, as spiritual love is far more than a sentiment, as God's peace is more excellent than mere placidity or tranquility of mind. So the joy which Christ imparts to the believer is vastly superior to any natural emotion. It is a state of exultation, a complacent of heart, a full satisfaction of soul as it feasts upon a perfect object. The Christian reader should more readily perceive the radical difference there is between natural hilarity and spiritual joy. The former, that is natural hilarity, is incapable of rising above the woes of the earth. It wanes in the presence of life's hardship. It blooms depart when the sun of prosperity is beclouded. It cannot survive the loss of health or of loved ones. Vastly different is the joy of the Lord. It is restricted neither in surroundings nor temperaments and fluctuates not with our varying moods or circumstances. Nature may indeed assess itself as Christ wept at the grave of Lazarus, yet its possessors can say with Paul as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. When the hurricane lashes the surface of the sea, the heart of it is undisturbed. Grace enables us to glory even in tribulation. While the bodies of the martyrs were burning at the stakes, hallelujahs were on their lips. Joy is quite consistent with godly sorrow. For each fresh discovery of the worthlessness of self should lead us closer to God. Reading that last statement made me think of uh, Brother uh, McMaster's, as I mentioned to you this morning, how that he recently fell and broke both legs. And you know, he's, uh, and they're probably going to send him into hospice and in bad shape physically. But Brother Hogger told me that when he visits him, that his spirit is good. He rejoices in the Lord in the midst of his miserable physical condition. Pink also said, A miserable believer is no credit to Christ and has a depressing effect upon his brethren. I thought that was a good statement. Think not then of Christ during his earthly life, but as a man of sorrows. Contemplate him too as one who has who was filled with joy. 
that the two things are in no wise incompatible is clear from the apostles' experience as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 6.10 The fullness of joy be not experienced by us, then if the fullness of joy be not experienced by us, then certainly we are living far below our privileges. thought that was good. The straightness in ourselves is in ourselves, not in Him, nor His revealed will. The Lord knows all about our temperaments, circumstances, trials, corruptions, yet notwithstanding bids us rejoice evermore. 1 Corinthians 5.16 I have two statements by a man by the name of Robert Candish. I'll read these in closing. It is surely very wonderful that the occasion on which Jesus manifests so intense an anxiety about His disciples having enough of joy and of His own joy should be the eve of His last agony. Is it really with Him a time of joy? Are the bloody sweat and cry of the one forsaken by God the signs of joy? Is that the joy, His joy, which He prayed when they may have fulfilled in themselves? At all events, His joy, whatever it may be, must be of such a nature that it can be compatible with experience as dark as that. For His joy must be like Himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It cannot be fluctuating and intermittent, it cannot be merely one of many notions, altering or taking its turn with others, fitfully swaying the mind at intervals according to the shifting of breezes of the outer atmosphere. His joy must partake of His own unchangeableness as the eternal Son of God. It is true that in His human nature and in His earthly history, He is subjected to the impulses and influences of His checkered human and earthly scene of this checkered human and earthly scene. He meets with what may move at one time to tears, at another time to gladness, nor is he unsusceptible of such impressions. But beneath all these, his real joy must be deeper far, a fathomless, infinite ocean whose calm repose the widest agitations of the utter, utter sea cannot reach or ruffle. My joy, he says to the Father, my joy in thee, in and with thee, I would have to be theirs, though their fellowship with thee and me. Such in substance is the Lord's own desire expressed to his disciples and to his Father, and such is his beloved apostles' aim in teaching that your joy may be full. And then for this last quote, For this joy is not anything like the sort of mysterious, incomprehensible rapture into which the spirits may be occasionally thrown under some sudden and irresistible impulse from without form or from within. It is not mere excitement. It is not what many call enthusiasm proper to high festivals. It is a calm, and here's what this, this joy is. 
It is a calm and sober frame of mind suited for everyday wear and everyday work. Neither is its nature recondite, abstruse, and mystical, nor does it come and go in flashes like the winged fire of heaven. It can be explained and accounted for, analyzed and described. Its elements and causes can be specified. It rises in, uh, its rise and progress can be traced. It is not therefore an attainment with which we can dispense. It is our strength. Nor is it a grace for which we may idly wait upon till it drop upon us unawares from above. We have it in us, the germ of it, the essence of it, if we have Christ in us, if we have the Spirit of Christ, and if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Well, as you know, much more could be said about joy. But we'll close with this. Father, we come before you and thank you for the joy of the Lord. Thank you that like Fellowship is not some mystical, outlandish emotion, though sometimes and oftentimes it expresses itself accordingly. But it is that ever abiding present with you. As Jesus said that night in the upper room, prior to going to the cross, like John wrote in his epistle, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, in the world you shall have tribulation. But he also said, these things I speak unto you, that my joy might be full in you. Thank you, Again, for the simplicity of your word, in Jesus' name, amen.